And I, th- I don't think it's giving a totally bad rap to people who are like believing in astrology or some sort of, you know, other, other uh, pattern view of the universe from mm. the practical or the mundane. Um, the admonition to go flip burgers, I think is a good addition because it talks about the necessity for grounding mm. oneself in the immediate world that one belongs to. Uh, and that's the only way you can actually um, acquire a deepening of your own intuitive capa- capabilities, which I think everybody has some form of that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we are stones. So right. we all hurt, <laughs> we feel, we, we uh, love, we hurt, you know. Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. All right. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? Wherever you are, I hope you take the time to take a breath, to be present in that breath, and to find beauty in that moment. Okay, so today I have a very special guest. Um, I'll do a little intro before I say who it is. I always like to keep you guys guessing. Uh, So she is a professor over at Old Dominion University um, where she teaches creative writing in the MFA program. Um, She's got a million books and uh, I'll just name a few. The most recent one was the winner of the 2019 Crab Orchard Poetry Prize called Maps for Migrants and Ghosts. I love the title. Um, she won the Center for the Book Arts Letterpress Poetry Chapbook Prize in 2018. It's called What is Left of Wings, I Ask. And what's really cool about this particular prize is that at the Center for the Book Arts, they make hand make these chapbooks with a letterpress. And it's just so amazing. So such beautiful work. Um, but my favorite title of one of her most recent books is The Buddha Wonders If She's Having a Midlife Crisis. And I love that one. Um, but one thing I want you to, to know about her before I introduce her to the show is that for 10 years to date, maybe, well, actually, I think we're going on 11. She has been writing at least at least one poem a day, probably more. But, you know, because she's probably like super achiever, Asian person like me. <laughs> But welcome to the show, Louisa and Gloria. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie Ann. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you. What could was be that here. about super achievers? Yeah, yeah, Wait, you know. I have no idea. That's just part of the model minority myth. <laughs> oh, okay, that that okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all. I'm just perpetuating stereotypes. Ignore me. <laughs> right. All right. So before we get into conversation, let us turn to our oracle of poems, the gift by Hafez, the great Sufi mystic poet. And then I like to do the little ruffle of pages right at the microphone. I'm gonna see if we can stop towards the end. Oh, all right, today's poem is called In a Circus Booth. Why let a fortune teller in a circus booth advise your heart? Out of 10,000 people who say they can read the fine print on a star, one might have that great gift that remarkable vision to know the future. Better to let one like Hafez become your guide to our needed sobriety on this path. 
be a friend to your heirs and purse. Listen, most astrologers, psychics, and healers would do more good for this world. Flipping soy burgers somewhere. Why seek guidance about your life and God from a grinning coiled snake in a carnival show? Wait, was there really flipping soy burgers in that? <laughs> it, it says in the print. Well, you have to understand mm. the translator is Daniel Ladinsky. And I think oh, that okay, he okay. takes Makes liberties sense. with the translations right, um, where right. he tries to make it more relatable to a Western audience. Okay. Um, so sometimes yeah. when I read these translations, I crack up and I was like, soy burgers, really, Daniel? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought I was hearing things that. No, you heard but, but, correctly. <laughs> would you mind reading like about from the middle part to the end? I can, you know what? Let me do a second read. Okay, so great. The great. whole thing. I, yeah. In a circus booth. Why let a fortune teller in a circus booth advise your heart? Out of 10,000 people who say they can read the fine print on a star, one might have that great gift, that remarkable vision to know the future. Better to let one like Hafez become your guide to our needed sobriety on this path. Be a friend to your heirs and purse. Listen, most astrologers, psychics, and healers would do more good for this world. Flipping soy burgers somewhere. Why seek guidance about your life and God from a grinning coiled snake in a carnival show? That was great. Yeah. So what yeah. do you think? Well, what's, so what's jumping out at you? Well, uh, that warning about the snake oil vendors at mm. the end of the piece, the poem. Uh, I also um, relate very much to the idea of wanting to know the future. I mean, when I was growing up, people were always saying, oh, there's a fortune teller. They can come read your palm. You know, there's a, you know. Uh, and I would actually come home sometimes one afternoon, there would be a bevy of women. You know, my mother was uh, uh, in several civic organizations and women's clubs. And sometimes they would get together to do strange things like, um, you know, fortune telling. They would invite somebody to come read cards. Mm. I guess it's the equivalent of, you know, people do tarot card readings and mm -hmm. they had their own thing going. Um, but I'm sort of, uh, I'm, what's the word I want to use? I'm struck by the idea that um, this poem talks about needing sobriety on the path. Mm. And then uh, I think I heard something, I, I took down a little thing, um, something about attending to your air and your purse. Yeah, be a friend to your to heirs your air, and purse. Heirs, A-I-R-S. H-E-I-R-S. H-E-I-R-S. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Your heirs yeah. and your purse. Yeah. And it seems to me too that this is a sort of uh, admonition uh, to us to pay more attention to people who are uh, more able to talk about intuition in a more real way, I guess, than mm. the, you know, carnival fortune tellers, I guess, the, the, the more commercialized, like, things we would go to to kind of, you know, read a fortune cookie and... Right. Oh, buy a lottery ticket right afterward. Look at the numbers right. in the back of the fortune cookie fortune. So yeah. I like that idea of how um, it foregrounds people like creatives, hmm. um, mystics, he says, physic, uh, psychics and healers. But I'm also reading poets in that group. Yes. Because yeah. he says, listen to Hafiz, right? Who is a poet. So yeah. 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 So that's how well, I'm it's, in, it's to interesting it. because the way it's written and maybe I didn't I didn't read it 
to reflect the way it's written is that he's he's basically saying that astrologers, psychics, and healers should just go flip soy burgers because they don't know what they're talking about. Um, and I think it goes back to the first stanza, why let a fortune teller in a circus booth advise your heart, where he's mm-hmm. saying you should really tune in. And you mentioned it a little, a little earlier um, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. intuition. You know, mm-hmm. like really tapping into that instead mm-hmm. of going elsewhere, instead of right. saying, right. you know, let me see what the cards say, right. you know? Right. And I, th- I don't think it's giving a totally bad rap to people who are like believing in astrology or some sort of, you know, other, other uh, patterned view of the universe from mm. the practical or the mundane. Um, the admonition to go flip burgers, I think is a good addition because it talks about the necessity for grounding Mm. oneself in the immediate world that one belongs to. Uh, And that's the only way you can actually um, acquire a deepening of your own intuitive capabilities, which I think everybody has some form of that. Uh, I don't think we are stones. So we all hurt, (laughs) we feel, we we, uh, love, we hurt, you know, yeah, yeah, I really love um, how you how you took that that soy burger line, which is so funny to me. <laughs> but how you how you made it this this opportunity for for grounding because it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in in spiritual practices and like the divine and stuff, and like kind of float away and mm-hmm. then separate that from from being on the ground, from being mm-hmm. physically here and present with the people in our lives, you know, mm-hmm. with, with whatever it is we're practicing. Cause there's often a gap, mm-hmm. right. In, at least in, in the, in the spiritual worlds where it's like, oh, we want to achieve enlightenment. Um, and we're just going to leave everyone behind. Like, oh, you're not enlightened with me. So I'm not going to talk to you. You know, it's, there's this gap that I think, um, people, I don't know. I, I think we need to bridge, but a lot of people just kind of let the physical fall away you know Mm -hmm. like there's the is it um yeah I think it's in Buddhism there's the misperception of this idea of killing the ego Mm -hmm. right I mean everyone thinks it's like literally kill the ego so that you're catatonic when really that's not no no I mean I'm not Buddhist I was raised Catholic but I do gravitate a lot towards um the ideas that I come across in readings like it's the reason for why I also wrote a bunch of uh, Buddha persona poems in that book you mentioned the Buddha wonders if she is having a midlife crisis and I think uh, what I was trying to do with that title in the first place, imagining the Buddha as a she, mm. as not uh, whatever prescribed uh, gender or gender that we ascribe to the Buddha from the stories that we hear, because of that idea, you 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 hear that a lot. You know, I I um I greet the divine in you, and I think, mm-hmm. or I greet the Buddha in you, as the Buddha in me greets the Buddha in you, which is sort of an idea about transcendent transcendence already being uh, a seed that is inherently planted in each being yeah yeah so um i don't know uh what else i think you you were talking about what else we were just talking about that gap the gap yeah 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 yeah. spirituality and grounding got it got it and so So, yeah yeah so if if you only tend to see uh the idea of transformation or transcendence as a one one directional arrow I don't think it's going to work because it's always going to feel impossible. It's always going to feel like it's somewhere just beyond and out of reach or in the clouds 
um, and you'll never get it, not in this lifetime, so don't even try. But I think those arrows point all different sorts of ways. And I think mm-hmm. that's another reminder of how you need to do the groundwork. You, you are trying to work out those details in your own you know, messy life. Yeah. So yeah. how do you find those moments? And I, I, I've been teaching, a, um, I'm teaching right now a craft class, and we're looking at other kinds of narrative patterns to begin with that may be held up as um, uh, additions to what we've been taught about the narrative arc proceeding only in one way, you know, ex- mm. expository arc, the high point, the climax, and then the denouement, mm. the unraveling. But um, this book that we're looking at is Uh, encouraging us to look at organic patterns in nature. So look at the meanders, look at the spirals. This is a book by um, Jane Allison called Meander Spiral Explode. So those three patterns are the only uh, things that appear in the cover or in the title, but there's so many other um, patterns that I think she doesn't even get to because it's, you know, it's one book. She talks about branches. She talks about radials. She talks about um rivers doubling back on themselves you know Mm. those um those bow curves in in the way a a river meanders where it seems like you're back to the same place where you began but it's actually a different moment so the idea of transformation or ascension i think we should stop thinking about that as a one direction or one kind of way uh or path to that so that's there's such yeah. a multiplicity of paths. I yeah. Think. Oh my God. I love this book that you're talking about. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I mean, is it, is it a craft book for writing it's specifically? A, it, because you can layer that on like a person's spiritual journey or exactly. evolution or whatever it is. Yeah. It, it's a craft book. And um, mostly she's talking about it from a fiction perspective. She has something in the book, which she calls, well, she does these craft analysis sections after she talks about the organic patterns that she'd like to work with. Uh, and then she applies it to her reading of certain favorite novels that she's looked at and studied over the years. Oh, wow. But I believe, and she said somewhere in the, I think the introduction that you could apply this to all sorts of writing. And like you're saying, to all kinds of other like models that are not necessarily narrative to begin with, but where yeah. you can see some sort of sense of a, uh, a desire to see the shape uh, that yeah. something is coming into or a shape yeah. that you're trying to build or the architecture of, yeah. of a feeling. How, what is the architecture of a feeling? Oh my God, that is a huge <laughs> question right there. Like yeah. when you said that question, I got all these chills. I was like, oh, oh. my God, yes. That's like yeah, a yeah, big yeah. question because, because you know, I mean, we'll parallel like the spiritual journey with, with writing also, it's like just human minds always want to be linear, right? Mm -hmm. They always want to go from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, but when we experience feeling, it's like, let's say someone in our life passes away and Mm -hmm. we experience grief, but it's grief is not a straight line, no. you know, or if we experience love, you know, it's not a straight line. It's not a destination. It's, it's a moment an experience and and what i what i love is what what you're bringing to the conversation is this idea of sort of mapping it according to the patterns we already see in nature mm-hmm. and that is so exciting because right, i just i just right. think about like okay let's say i'm i'm grieving the loss of somebody mm-hmm. um and you know society and culture is like you need to go through these stages of grief or whatever but if i want to look at the 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 vine of an ivy plant that's growing like along the wall of a building and and think about my grief in that way then that's a totally different experience and it might be more liberating for someone who's experiencing grief 
So I, have you yeah. been able to apply these, these patterns? How did you find this book? I, I don't know. I stumbled upon it, I guess. Um, I may have read someone talk about it and then yeah. I went and poked around and found the book and started reading it and could not stop. And like, I'm teaching it in every craft class that yeah. I can now. Amazing. I also teach it in a hybrid workshop that I've taught for like a couple of years now mm. in, in the writing program where I teach. But yeah, that vine idea is great. The vine itself, you know, the, the leaves don't grow along a straight uh, horizontal or vertical. Right. Although if you stretched out the vine stem, I suppose it could resemble a line. Yeah. But I like the yeah. way they kind of softly, naturally curl. And yeah, that's the yeah. way they are. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I love the image that you've also just brought up, um, applying it to one's life. Um, I guess we already again, I feel like we have an inherent sense that's already pushing us to move towards some idea of um, I don't want to say directionality because sometimes we don't know where we're going. I often feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. Uh, even if I am here and this, this sort of a thing that I can describe on things like resumes and stuff like that, I'm like, I'm not really sure I know what I'm doing. So <laughs> does that happen to you? Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Okay. So but I mean, what do you do in that case? What do you so do you, in that case? I feel like, like, you know, it's like when you, you're entering, um, maybe a, a room or a building that you feel familiar with, you've been there before, or you don't, even if you don't know it, you know how a building usually is probably plotted out in the range. There's a door, there's a stairwell, there could be a lobby, but you know, if it's dark, you kind of feel your way along the wall until you hit a, a light switch. And yeah. that kind of intuitive fumbling that I think we yeah. all do in our own way. Yes. Yeah. So I guess I do the equivalent of that. And it, I yeah. think it's the way we um, approach uh, our entrance into our own writing, into our own poems. So yeah. the page may not be dark. We always talk about it as the the, the blank page, this sort of right. the white space, uh, terrifying whiteness, you know, blankness, as if there's nothing there. Right. But, right. Yeah. Right. And then and then looking at that, and this just kind of popped in my mind was looking at that white page and and sort of seeing the words like emerge as if coming forth from the surface of water or something just like right mm -hmm. right right um so so that brings me to a question about your daily practice of writing poems you know how do you you know thinking about this this intuitive fumbling and and using it as a way of, of entering into the work how one is that how you enter into a poem every day what is your practice for it how did you begin this practice in the first place mm -hmm. well maybe I'll approach the how did I begin in the first place because that's easier it's like you can go back to a, an actual physical literal point in time and say I can say November 20 2010 wow but I did not know that it was going to be the beginning of a 10 year plus writing right. practice, daily writing practice. Mm. I think simply uh, that was a week where we actually had um, at least 10 inches of snow in Hampton Roads here, in the area where a coastal area. So snow is a rarity. Uh, and when it does happen, it's like 
um, big national emergency. And of course, you know, my husband had grown up and lived in Chicago for most of his life and he like laughs, that's nothing. <laughs> and I do know that from having gone to school, gone to grad school in Chicago to I know those winters don't compare. Mm -hmm. But so there we were, we were stuck at home. Nobody could go out. There was no school. I didn't have to do anything really yet. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel like, oh, um, all of that stuff I was complaining about, we always complain about not having enough time yeah. to tend to our own writing. And we wish we had that. And I felt like, okay, I have it. What do I do with it now? Right. So I guess I was looking for a kind of prompt. And um, poet publisher Dave Bonta, who is also now, of course, a friend, um, he maintains uh, a couple of like blog spaces. And one of them is a microblog, which is nature themed. Um, and he calls it, it's on Twitter. It's called The Morning Porch. And his basic premise is basically you wake up, first thing you see on your porch, you write it down in 140, you know, what is it now? 220 characters? Maybe in Twitter. No, I'm not. On, I'm not on Twitter. So yeah, they gave it. They gave more space. So he oh, he okay. writes down the first thing. And but he's a poet, so he he is trying to chisel down um, an image in mm. in a way that uh, I think the attention of a poet is tuned to language and to the world in the same way. Yeah. So that it's not just Twitter. I mean, at least for him. And so right. I I I've I've been reading that for a while because I um, had from met him by by being published in one of the journals which he co-edited a while ago so i saw something that day i think it was an image of a a woodpecker hmm. but he wrote about it in a way that fused the woodpecker's body with something uh, totally mechanical like something hmm. you would see in a machine shop and that caught my attention so i think i wrote a response right there in the comment box but I found myself writing it as a as a poem. Oh, so I said cool. that's cool. And I, I mean, I was not thinking about it. It just yeah. sort of happened. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was cool. That felt good. Um, so the following day, I'm like, let me try that again. <laughs> yeah. Prompt, right? Prompt, right? Right? You know. So then after that, uh, I felt like even in that short, compressed amount of time. I guess when I forgot about the pressures and I, I, I figured out that there is a way to turn them off or make them less noisy, mm. then you can actually get dropped down into that space. And I was yeah. like, okay, so great. So I'll take whatever I can. Uh, I, instead of, I, I complained a lot, you know, moaning and groaning a lot. And when I'm unhappy, when you're unhappy, everyone around you is unhappy. Oh, yeah. yeah, the whole house inflict, is like, oh you no. Yeah, you inflict it on, on your world, right? <laughs> right? So she's unhappy, stay away from her. Uh, hide. <laughs> right. So yeah, so I just said, okay, I will take no matter how small a time, 30 minutes. It's a luxury if I can do 45 a day. So I just mm. decided to start doing that. Mm. And I don't really set any fixed time of the day. I don't give myself predetermined expectations. I just mm -hmm. come to it when I come to it to say, here I am. I'm ready to write. Mm. So no matter what comes out of it, I'm, yeah. I'm ready for that. It took a while to get to that, yeah. that stage yeah. of just saying, you know, let the writing happen or let me make it happen. Yeah. So what happened before you got to that stage? Because I know that there are probably listeners who are like maybe beginning 
poets and might be want might want to try this this mm -hmm. daily practice you know it, it might be helpful to say hey it's not always that let's let's talk about what happens before, before that leads up yeah. to the magic of I'm ready right right it's not always magic it doesn't feel like magic even when I am there already sometimes mm. it's more a struggle and sometimes it's less okay I understand and I need to just keep certain things you know quiet or let them just push them back to the background for a little while they can come back and shout at you later but yeah. like you usually have these tendencies of oh um I need to write or I want to write I do truly truly want to write but somehow I'm frozen up or I, I, I don't know, I have this reluctance or it feels like a struggle. And maybe a sock drawer is easier to take care of right now. Or I need to uh, do a decimal system, the contents of my refrigerator. <laughs> that so sounds that's like happened. fun. <laughs> yeah, that's happened to me too. So, uh, but then in that sort of fury of, you know, not being, you think not being able to get to the place where you would most like to be, then that translates into other, I think, kinds of actions that, uh, to me, they're also a kind of index to my own, I guess, in a way, sort of internal anxiety about this process called writing. Mm -hmm. And that's where the idea that, you know, it's not all magic. It's not fairy dust. It's not like, you know, I transform the minute I drop into that space. So it's still, I think it's very similar to, uh, I, I've heard you talk about um, meditation. I've heard you yeah. write about that. It might be similar in some ways to that idea of finding a point of quiet or a point mm -hmm. of stillness where you can just um, be there. Yeah. So yeah. without expectation, without I mean, it's hard to say we, we are not creatures of desire. We want so many things, but to try and not, you know, push too hard, push the envelope too hard and say today, because it's never happened that way today. I'm going to write a poem about this big subject. It never happens that way. Right, right, yeah. right. So what do you do with the, with the anxiety? Like, let's say, let's say this was like right after you started, you know, the, the small poems, right? We'll say it's January of 2011 mm -hmm. right and you're and you're already like okay I guess I'm doing this on a regular you know daily basis, basis. Yeah. um how do you how did you get yourself to to return every day to mm -hmm. to that you know when when you know as a as a parent as a you know a, a person yeah. with a full-time position yeah you know and and your commitment to other things how do you how do you say all right i'm going to pause my life and and do this thing you know like so mm -hmm. what what kinds of obstacles did you face and how did mm -hmm. you how did you get through them i guess it's just a a little bit of calib recalibration of the ways in which I think the ways in which we think we're writing teachers. So I think you can relate to um, when I say that we, we're always telling our students things like everything can become a poem. Mm -hmm. If you just pay attention, if you are, for instance, in a, uh, a, an elevator with lots of people and you overhear little bits of conversation or you see a little interesting, you know, somebody's dressed in an interesting way and it kind of jumps out at you and you file it away in your brain. Some people maybe will scribble down something furtively on a little slip of paper or you remember things. So we're all pay attention to use the things that they find in the world, in the daily world, in their life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I could practice that shit too. 
So <laughs> hey, me too. <laughs> me too. I mean, I'm teaching it, you know, I'm just I, and I probably do, we already do, but it's like I think when we're giving out all the energy in terms of writing advice, we feel there are times when I feel very depleted from teaching, from caring mm. for people. Uh, from, oh man, this semester I have like six thesis advices and that's, you know, major investment of energy. And yeah. sometimes it feels like the energy is going outward. And so you need to recover and kind of turn that energy inward. So what mm -hmm. you've been telling people to do, do it yourself. So right, right. Um, <laughs> one way, I, I think that's one way to do that. So uh, then of course, when I'm there, when I say, okay, I feel like I have time to write and, you know, kind of like claim this time for mm. myself. Mm -hmm. uh, anything then becomes fair game. Maybe I read something interesting before I came to my writing table. Maybe I saw a painting. I've done a lot of ekphrases because mm -hmm. pictures, looking at pictures is a wonderful way to get um, immediately immersed in yeah. something that's already presented in some way as a kind of um, environment. Yeah. That's yeah. imagined. That's um, uh, decked out in its own furniture, so to speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just go in there and look around and see what that does to you, see what it makes you think of. So I, I've done a lot of uh, ekphrases uh, using the poems of surrealist uh, painters that I like, like Remedios Varro. Uh, okay. I've cool. done some, a bunch of uh, ekphrastic poems uh, on the work of uh, an artist who just passed away recently that I learned that he passed away from COVID complications. Mm. I have not even met him in person, mm -hmm. but I was just so drawn to his work. Uh, this yeah. is Armando Valero. I believe he he was in based in California and mm. we were kind of connected on email by um, another poet over there, an editor who was putting together uh, an anthology of poems that were based on paintings on, on, on artists' work in, in that part of, um, uh, of our nation. So um, he pointed me to a website where there were like pictures up there. It was a gallery that represented yeah. him. And they were like mini stories. He also had a touch of surrealist whimsy in it, but mm. um, I was just struck by the vibrancy of the colors, the stories that were sort of hinted at, but never really fully explained. So I think the sense of mystery is also what draws me in. Yeah. So yeah. I like to kind of find my way into yeah. a poem into a story yeah what so. I like about the ekphrasis um, process is that it also prevents you from overthinking yeah because it's yeah. not you're not going in with an agenda yeah I feel like that's that's a, a big like, instant writer's block for people yeah, yeah. when you go in with an agenda if you're yeah. just responding yeah to something that's not even your own then yeah. there, there's this tendency for the mystery to emerge, but also just that that creative spirit to just mm -hmm. be like, hey, I'm here. Right. Let's, let's play. Right. Um, I like that you're talking that. about play because I, I feel like that's the kind of mindset that I was trying to um, attune myself mm. to more rather than to view it as, okay, this is work. Let's beat the thing into submission. Let's get that Let's poem. write a poem with right. a capital let's, P. Let's finish it. <laughs> Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, 
so how do you play okay we've got the, how do we've I got play? the yeah we've got the response to to visual yeah you, sometimes I do that sometimes I use you, visual yeah. what else do you do to play? I read I read so I'm usually often reading you know so before that I may have read just some interesting arresting passage either in a novel or in a poem and it made me think of something and maybe that was like the thing that said hey stop what you're doing right now and go you can do something with this mm. or you know it can be like stuff I've seen you know on on the street whatever yeah yeah going out I mean in the before time there were many more things to see when you went out you know within the before post- time, before time. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is interesting that you mentioned the before time because I know for me um, and some conversations I've had with my own students is that um, there is this this extra layer of I want to I don't want to say struggle but more challenge to mm. create because mm. we are so used to external stimulation. Yeah. And so now what is happening with your work mm-hmm. that you're noticing mm-hmm. from not having as much external stimulation as mm-hmm. you're used to? Um I guess I look for ways to um make that connection feel like it's still there. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I am thankful that we have some sort of a backyard, which is some <laughs> sort of space you can feel safe to go out in. I, I mean, we have taken a few walks here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even going out just for a quick coffee with my daughter to pick up a coffee and bring it back. That's still a foray into the outdoors. But, mm-hmm. you know, just everything that crosses your window pane basically is a very... I guess that sounds very simplistic, but um, truly but it, anything can catch your attention. Well, it goes back to what you're saying about really paying attention to yeah, details as yeah, a poet, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I've said this a, a few times in recent recently, um, people will say, oh, so you write occasional verse. Oh, you write occasional poetry. Like, What does that mean? Exactly. With, there's a sort of hint of something pejorative behind that, I think. I don't know. <laughs> that oh you're just well, the writing. way you said it sounded like I was well like, oh, it, I'm I usually, offended I don't even I, know what that means <laughs> I usually hear it said in that that tone mm. oh you write occasional verse like as if uh things that pass in front of you and catch your attention are not worth spending time on the occasionality of it like yeah. it's tied to some random event instead of what some big event what is a big event aren't yeah. you know isn't but, everything potentially yeah, but mm-hmm. isn't poetry just about the details, you know? And, yeah, exactly. And I don't know. So, so now, as you're as you're as you're sort of explaining what this what this term means, because the way I I saw occasional poetry was like, oh, I only write once in a while. <laughs> yeah, there's that meaning. But I I don't think that's what they meant when they no, but you know, when they see just things like these, like this. these yeah. events that happen. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's it's it just speaks to like, well, what is poetry for that person? Because, because for me, it's like, everything is an occasion, you know, yeah, it's everything is an occasion. For and poetry. I don't, and I don't believe in coincidences, you know, mm-hmm. like, I feel like the, the woodpecker that's pecking at my house is there for me to pay attention to mm-hmm. and, and, and laugh at the fact that he right. thinks it's made of wood when it's actual vinyl siding, you know? Right, right. <laughs> So, so yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what they're looking for, but I don't either, but it seems to me like, oh, you, you look at little things and they turn, you turn them into poems. And there's a sort of underlying assumption there that poetry is about fluffy things, I suppose, hmm. um, to put it that way, or yeah. 
yeah, that the not... significance somehow is um, less limited. than important. Yeah. yeah, yeah, those are not my kind of people, so mm-hmm. it's okay. They can write their own. Yeah, poems, yeah. We'll write ours. <laughs> right, and I mean, I've also realized in teaching poetry for so many years that there, you know, you you offer the opportunity to engage more deeply in your classes with poetry, mm-hmm. but there are people who will get it maybe fall deep deeper in love with it and there Mm -hmm. are people you've just got to face that there are people who will say okay it was fine this time around but I don't think I'm going to do that again and that's Mm. fine that's their choice you know yeah you know what's interesting about those people I always imagine them to circle back to this moment later in life and be like oh you know like the light bulb goes off or suddenly they like fall deeper into the pit of poetry like 10 years down the road and then Mm -hmm. that's what they were saying oh my god I owe my life Mm -hmm. to no I you know that's just me imagining good things oh yeah but then you know that that is quite possible (laughs) but maybe in the moment in which they encounter it it doesn't completely fill um, a certain need that they have that maybe they feel is fulfilled by some other thing yeah. And that's, and that's, that's fine, fine because everyone is, everyone is where they're at for whatever exactly. reason, you yeah. know, they're meant to understand and learn things designed for that specific moment in time. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, the seeds are planted. That's all we can do right, as, right. as teachers. Um, but I want to get back to the play because we kind of got off track. on play, that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about, do you play at all in your poems? Like, have you done any sort of, you know, playing around with layout, with, um, you know, turning the page horizontal, you know, like, have yeah, you done any kind yeah, of play I've like done, that? You know, I like, for instance, there's forms that you can play with like that, you know, abecedarians, double abecedarians. Is there any other way to write an abecedarian except for the straight ABC down to Z path? So I've done like alternate um, lines, like, in the abecedarian, I would do an A for the first line and maybe a B at the very bottom and work my way to the middle. You know, that's Ooh, sort of another way to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've written like, I don't know what to call them, like collaboration, you know, call and answer poems with hmm. some other poets. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. Or letter letter poems with other poets. It's always yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, I played with, played with, yeah. uh, filmmakers who have done visual poems and we talk about that collaboration so I provide text I provide the poem and we talk about how are we imagining this as a third thing that comes Mm -hmm. out of this conversation so they have their film they have their imagery they have the things that they do as a filmmaker with a camera looking through that lens and I have my poems I have the the language of my poems and then we come together in that conversation to talk about what would this look like if we put them together? Mm, yeah, I love that. I yeah. love collaborative play, especially yeah, yeah, because yeah. Mm-hmm. you get this other layer of, of someone else's idea of, of creativity right. and, and play. And so fun. Right. It's so and fun. I, I've started to recently um, go back, rediscover my love for doing art myself. Uh, mm. I used to draw a lot. Um, and Rhino Reviews uh, invited me to participate in last September's, um, uh, what do they call it, graphic reviews uh, issue. Oh, cool. So uh, I did a, a collage, which was a graphic review of Dean Young's po- uh, poetry book. Oh, that is fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, I might want to try that. Yeah, it's very fun. Oh, 
you're doing a lot of play. I had no idea. I, I need to play. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but we're getting snow tomorrow. So maybe you go play out in the snow and then yeah. write a poem in the snow. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to bring together the writing and, and the spiritual aspects of, mm -hmm. of what I'm finding in some of your poems. Mm -hmm. And is, do you have, um, I know you, you said that you were raised Catholic. Do you have a spiritual practice, like a regular spiritual practice is writing part of that? Is it not, you know, I want to see how they come together mm -hmm. and, and intersect mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. Well, especially since we aren't really going to places of worship or churches or convening in large groups, uh, we'd, we'd go to Sunday mass or Saturday evening mass before, uh, at least my husband and I, but mm -hmm that's really fallen away. Uh, we haven't gone at all. Uh, and even before we were not very regular because sometimes we would just wake up with a shock on Sunday morning, realize it was near noon and oh, half the day is whoops. gone. So you slept in. So, you know, but I think one of the things that I take uh, away from that Catholic upbringing that I still have today in my own fashion is the idea of prayer as an internalized form of speaking to um, another, not necessarily just for supplication, mm -hmm. but also for, I don't know, for disclosure, for company, you want to tell someone about this thing that you yeah. are carrying mm -hmm. that particular moment, whether it's good or bad, I suppose. Although people tend to think of prayer as like, oh, you only remember to pray when you feel like you're drowning, yeah. right? Yeah, when you need something. When you need something. So, um, but I think poetry is a lot like prayer mm. that you need to go inside that room where you can kind of not only quiet certain things, but when you can feel like you can open up um, maybe what is most vulnerable in the moment uh, of yourself to that very moment. Yeah. So I think prayer is kind of, it has the capacity to draw out that sort of experience uh, mm -hmm. from us. Yeah. So the idea that we're not just talking to ourselves, we're actually talking to something else in the living universe, no matter what you call this name, you call it right. God or whatever name, but the idea of a universe that surrounds you and you feel sometimes maybe supports you more than mm -hmm. other times. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah, 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 it does. And so, and so it's, it sounds to me that, that your, your way of staying connected spiritually is really through the writing, you know, yeah. like, like as a Catholic, yes, there's, there's mass and there's the, the, the benefit of being physically yeah. present right yeah. And being in, yeah in community with people right but for your own individual practice mm -hmm. um it sounds to me that these daily poems are part of that you know are part yeah. of this way of of connecting with your your innermost self um yeah. i love that for that sure for sure and the box and and um i guess I went to a Catholic school in my elementary uh, grades. And then the first year of high school was still in the same Catholic school. And, you know, you learn prayers, you learn to memorize things and you learn their patterns organized by sound too. So I think 
the language of prayer is also very much connected to the language of poetry because we're also looking for patterns like that, patterns mm. of repetition, patterns of sound. And they can have all sorts of different related effects uh, also on you. Yeah. Um, memory is something that uh, is directly attached to the ability to repeat, repeat. You know, you, you use it as a way to find something or to yeah. find your way back to that thing by remembering a thing, by remembering its associations. Yeah. So, I, I, for instance, the rosary, you know, there are 10 decades of the rosary and you repeat certain prayers down the line and they're interrupted only by, you know, there, there are stanza breaks in the rosary. Right, 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 right exactly. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah, um, that I kind just, of similarity, I think I see that. Yeah, and I love what you said about the sound uh-huh. because, um, you know, in... In the yoga world, in, in yoga philosophy, you know, there is, there is mantra. There's, I mean, mantras can, don't have to necessarily be in Sanskrit, you know, mantras are mm-hmm. the things that you tell yourself. It's like, right. you know, it could be like, I suck, you know, or <laughs> I'm really powerful. You know, it depends on like the things that you say over and over again to yourself. That's you know? like, like, I suck can be a mantra. Yeah, well, mantras aren't always a positive one, you know, because oh, okay, gotcha. there, there are things that we tell ourselves, you know, especially young uh, girls yeah, are probably gotcha. like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You know, that's a mantra, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, then we begin to believe it. So Mm -hmm. it's a really a matter of, of being, paying attention to what Mm -hmm. we're, we're saying to ourselves over and over again, but in, but in yoga, um, you know, the mantras that are offered in Sanskrit are specifically designed vibrationally and in terms Mm -hmm. of sound frequency Mm -hmm. to attune our energetic vibrations you know, to a certain frequency, to a certain, you know, benefit, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you can set, chant ohm and you'll feel your, your whole body sort of open. Yeah, up. I totally buy that. You know, and, you know, even in uh, religious practice and ritual, I think there is a corresponding kind mm-hmm. of set of uh, effects yeah. that you can feel yeah. um, somatically, like in your yeah. body, right? Yeah. yeah. So for instance, yeah. in the mass, you kneel, you stand, you sit, um, mm-hmm. you chant you sing or you recite so there's all those different registers of sound that a body has to perform them they have to pass through your body you can feel them exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and and i want to say that that same effect happens even in non-sanskrit you know exactly in in saying the rosary you know like there is this there is this rhythm to Mm -hmm. to saying the 10 hail marys you know right and um and so i'm i'm thinking about that in relationship to poetry and how we're laying down our verses Mm -hmm. and how we lay out the lines and how we Mm -hmm. choose the words and Mm -hmm. and what does that feel like when we say them out loud you know often I tell my students when you're revising a poem read it out loud yeah exactly and you'll you'll hear where it's not working and I I don't know but um the experience of you can talk about Catholic experience, but it's not universal either. I think the way that Filipinos experience it um, is also very idiosyncratic to our own Mm. cultural context, our historical context, because I see uh, that there's a lot of like um, indigenous, you might say, animistic um, perspectives that are sitting comfortably with what we've learned through Catholicism like I in my own family I talk about this a lot because we do it this one thing we do and it stems from being raised in a household where uh, people just talked about like the spirits are around us they're they're Mm -hmm. there you know Uh, the the ghost of your uh, dead lolo is looking at you 
So right, right. I mean, you know, right, it, yeah, it, can sound, <laughs> it can sound cartoonish in that way, but I, I think the idea is that there are presences which uh, surround us. There are energies that surround us. They're not just energies which are in the here and now. They're, uh, we don't know what to call them. We give them certain terms, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that is the acknowledgement that our world is a world that can be perforated by other kinds of energy. So mm. it tells us that we're not the only ones. It tells us that yeah. you're not necessarily the most important thing here. Right. Right. So, right. I mean, in our family, we do this thing. I come from an Ilocano family mm-hmm. and we do this thing. It's like a spirit food offering, I guess, mm. um, which we call Atang Tikararoa. So it basically is an offering to the souls or to the spirits. Mm. So whenever there is a, like a, especially a big special occasion or Christmas, you set aside a little plate of food for uh, the souls of your departed loved ones or relatives, yeah. or if there's an occasion to celebrate. And, you know, even my American um, daughter, my um, daughter born here in the U.S. takes that practice up along with us and feels mm-hmm. that there's nothing weird about it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just sort of something you grow up with. And I think that's the sense that I'm talking about that is formative um, in terms of this, uh, I guess, affinity that you can have with the whole practice of conversation with something Mm. other than what you you mentioned ego, you know, something other than yourself. I mean, it sounds like you're talking to yourself too, but it's not exactly the same if you, you right get what that means well yeah because there's 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 the ego self which is the physical self which is the self that that that's talking right now like you and i are talking from our egos but then there's like our deeper like more spirit self yeah the divine self you know when when you talked about you know the buddha and me sees the buddha and you in in yoga it's it's the divine light you know because we're all from god from source and and so it's it's really talking in conversation yeah maybe it looks like we're talking to ourselves because we are we're mm-hmm. just, we're not talking mm-hmm. to our ego self we're talking, right right you know? <laughs> but also then because you know that nobody's physically going to answer you perhaps but you start list- listening mm-hmm. more deeply perhaps yes. and then you get a sense of is that an answer yes yes yeah that's that's sort of the intuitive hits yeah that, that we yeah. feel around for right yeah which way do I go? How do I yeah, get Yeah. 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 Oh, so good. Oh my God. I'm so, I love this conversation. It was probably not where you thought we was going, but I did not at all think that you were going to wind up here. Yeah. But what, what's interesting to kind of circle back before we, yeah. we re- wrap up is that, you know, we were talking about sound and patterns and how at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about that craft book mm-hmm. and thinking about patterns mm-hmm. and, and how the river meanders. And here we are just sort of meandering. And here we are back again, thinking about patterns and noticing mm-hmm. those. And, yeah. And, and reading that book, I'm, I mean, I'm also thinking now in terms of how do I, as the bearer of um, a, a uh, well, how do I say, I am a person of color. I'm a woman of color with a particular body that uh, manifests in certain physical ways. How do I, uh, perceive the patterns in my own formation, in my own history, as a body yeah. moving through the world with this particular, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, it is a big question. I don't know the answer yet, but um, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see it in your next book. <laughs> 
Ooh. <laughs> no pressure, right? No, no pressure at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Louisa. So um, did you bring a poem that you would like to share with us to close out the episode? I did. And I wasn't sure. I have like two or three possibilities, but I think now I will go with the original one that I had intended to read. Mm. It is from my an earlier book. It's from a 2014 book called Ode to the Heart Smaller Than a Pencil Eraser from uh, Utah State University Press. And it's a poem called Fata Morgana. So I, I think I've gone back to this because of the way you started this out with that um, selection mm. from Hafiz, which is mm-hmm. about fate, right? And yeah. wanting to know your destiny. So Fata Morgana. Mm. What is the name of that goddess in the print? her arms full of instruments for music and torture, her mouth beautiful like a flower or the tip of a spear, her red painted feet flashing across hot coals and a circle of fire. I am not cunning like that. I am not fierce or graceful. And it's become harder to read more than one book at once. Do you remember when I tried to cook two things at the same time on the two hot plates of the stove? One saucepan was burned so badly, we had to throw it away. And as I stood in the yard before I dropped the piece of disfigured metal with its melted plastic handle into the trash, I remembered the way my father looked just hours after his death laid out on a bed for want of a coffin, arms folded on his chest in the attitude of peaceful sleeping. His skin had not cooled yet. His cheeks had not taken on the hue of those who started walking away from this place and will no longer look at the spill of late flowering blooms by the fence. With my two arms, I hugged myself the way another would. With my two hands, I gathered up and tied my hair. I walked back to my house of appetites, my house of things, my life of many parts, waiting to be wound and folded, mended, counted, found. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. I love the imagery in that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, too. Thank you for sharing that, Louisa. And thank you for sharing your time with me. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah, this is so much fun. And I loved layering the poetry with the teaching, with the spiritual, religious, all those things. Just so good. Yeah, this is so, this is such a cool thing that you're doing. Thank you. I have fun doing it. I love yeah, I when can I get tell. to talk to people. I can tell. You're playing too, right? <laughs> I'm totally playing. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So let's close the episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, my friends. Namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? 
How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now.